All right, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, page 8 in the church Bible is where it begins. And I invite you to follow along in your own Bible. And uh, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This is God's word. I need to pray. I need divine help, and I think we all do, so that we hear as we ought to hear. So let's pray. Father in heaven, would you grant us your grace now so that the preaching of your word is effective we know the power for it is not in a mere man the power for it is from your spirit and the word that is proclaimed therein is the power father help me as the preacher to be faithful to this and give us all an attentive mind and heart would you cause any distractions to be set aside and lord would you Pour out your grace on us so that we hear from you now. And I ask it for the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if my, uh, my wife or my children, or in fact, any one of you in the church, if, you, if I get a call on my phone, and if I have the number in my directory, if I'm able, I'll answer the call. Now, if the call is from... You've heard these, Visa and MasterCard or the IRS or somebody wanting to know if I'd like to buy a warranty for my car or an immediate cash offer on my house. I may not answer it, but if I do answer it, because it's likely a robocall, I'll just hang up. Now, you get these all the time, don't you? Now, if I get a robocall asking me to pick up milk from High V, I'm not going to do it. But if my wife calls me, I will. See, there's a difference between a call from a stranger and a call from someone who knows me and someone who knows me well. Acting on what I hear in that call has everything to do with the relationship. And I think you get this. What you do with a call depends on who is calling. Am I right? What you do with that call depends on who is calling. Now, informed, I think in part by the Bible, but also our church culture, which has been informed by the Bible, sometimes we think of a call from the Lord as referring to something unusual, 
And in this text of Scripture, we're dealing with Abraham's, Abram's, he's still called Abram here, Abram's calling. And that calling, in a sense, is unique and extraordinary. It is. But there are some simple truths that can apply to each of us when we each believe and obey the call of the Lord to be included in his family. So this morning, I want to I want to give our focus to to three truths as we look more closely at this at this passage of scripture. And I'll give these headings to you up front as I as is my habit. And here's some things that we'll gather some thoughts around. Uh, first, obedience means leaving. Obedience means leaving. Obedience, secondly, leads to blessing. And third, blessing evokes worship. First, obedience means leaving. Now, some of you know uh, my daughter's an accomplished baker. Her cakes are works of art. But I think you know this. Their beauty of those cakes only lasts as long as your resistance to eating, right? Once you cut into it and begin serving it, the visual beauty has to give way to what your mouth experiences, the, the experience of the moist sponge, or as the British bakers say, sponge. The buttercream frosting. If you've had a good cake, you know. You know what that experience is like as it melts in your mouth. But the, the saying is true, and you've heard it, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? You've, I'm sure you've heard that expression. And, and the reality is it's, it's simply that doing one thing in particular means giving up another. Well, this applies to Abram. For Abram to obey the Lord and go, it meant he had to leave something else. That's why I say obedience is leaving. And, and in Abram's case, and in our experience too, obeying means leaving. I want you to look at verse 1 to see what Abram had to leave behind. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And we get this, right? When you turn to something, you're turning away from something else. Now when that turning has a moral component to it, when the turning away from something has a moral component to it, the Bible word for that is repentance. The Hebrew word, nacham. That means to be sorry or grieved. The, the New Testament Greek word is metanoia, which means to simply change your mind. Now, I'll grant that the word repent is not used here in the Bible text that we read, but given what the Lord is calling Abram to, I take it that repentance is an integral part of what's going on. And I'll, I'll show you that in a moment. So we see this. The Lord spoke to Abram and said, Go to a land that I will show you. Go. Now, going would be evidence that he changed his mind. For example, I was living here. Now I'm going to go somewhere else. That's a, a change of mind. Now, we have to think about this. Where is Abram living? Where is he living right now? Well, from the last chapter, we learned that he is in Haran. Haran, Haran, however you pronounce it. So obeying the Lord would mean that he'd have to give up some things, and we see what those things are. Verse 1, we see three things that, o Abraham, that Abram, uh, in obeying, would, 
would give up and thus demonstrate his repentance. So, first of all, to obey Abram would have to leave his country. Second, his kindred. Third, his father's house. First of all, leave your country. Leave your country. Now, that's the place to Abram that's familiar to him. But remember, Haran is that place that is far from the Lord morally. There in Haran, Abram's father, Terah, and presumably Abram himself, served other gods. We're told that in Joshua 24, 2. His father, Terah, and likely being the patriarch of the entire household, that would have been Abram's experience. He was an idolater. The Lord says, leave your country. So leaving your country is effectively leaving this place, this Babylon, this Babel, where idolatry is practiced. But then he says, leave your kindred, his relatives. This is the, these are the people that you know best. These are the comfortable relationships. Leave your kindred. And it's logical to assume that the culture there, the kindred of Abram, is serving other gods, not the Lord. So leaving country in kindred was an acknowledgement that the voice of the Lord was the only truth. It was the only voice of truth. And whatever Abram's prior understanding of those other gods, his obedience to the Lord marked in an external way his repentance. It marked his sorrow for the idolatry and a change of mind to trust this voice, the voice of the true living God. Now he's also told, so leave your country, leave your kindred. He's also told, leave your father's house. Now that sounds similar to leaving your kindred, but, but I, I want you to see something else in here. See, as a firstborn son, Abram would have become the patriarch of that household after his own father's death. He would have effectively received a double portion of the inheritance becoming the new patriarch. So the Lord is calling Abram to leave all that behind. So you can see obedience here would be very costly. Leave that behind and go to the land I will show you. Now, we know from the previous chapter that his father Terah had originally set out for Canaan from Ur where they were living. But he stopped in Haran. And why... We, we just don't know. I take it that for, for Terah and then Abram, that Canaan itself was not a mystery, but what would have been a mystery to Abram was, was what life would be like there, where he would set down roots. Those were unknowns. How he would relate to the people of the land, those were unknowns to him. Abraham left his country he left his kindred. He left his father's household. Abram obeyed. He went, as it tells us in verse 4, as the Lord told him. And we're told here that Lot went with him. Lot will come up later in the story. And we're also told that Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He's still got 100 years left of life. We'll find that out later. So it's about in the middle of his life. To go where the Lord had called him. He took Sarai, he took his son, uh, Lot, his brother's son. Now, Lot had been orphaned, his father had died. They took all their possessions and the people that they had acquired 
He separated himself from his father's household to go to the land of Canaan, to go to where the Lord had called him. So to do that, he had to leave what he knew. He had to leave the culture he knew. He had to leave his family. He had to leave his friends. He had to give up the family business, the inheritance from his father. Obedience means leaving. That's true for anyone who is truly part of the family of God. Obedience means leaving. Now, we don't need a voice from heaven. We have the scriptures, right? We have the word of God. But I can say with confidence, if God has called you to be his child, if he is calling you to be his child, if you want to be counted in that way, he is calling all of us to obey, which means leaving, which means repenting. So the first thing that we have to leave if we're included in the family of God, is we have to leave behind our sin. The, the scriptures tell us, Romans 3.23, that all have sinned. So none of us is, are guiltless before God. But we have to have that attitude before the Lord, which is, i got to leave that behind. So we have to repent. To be included in the family of God, we have to change our mind about sin. This is no longer acceptable. The things that the world offers up to me that God is opposed to, I can't embrace anymore. Sin is an offense to God, and I have to agree with the Lord. I have to leave behind what I think about sin. The world says, well, it's just fun. Billy Joel saying, I'd, la- I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. He was dead wrong. Sin's not fun. It may be temporarily, but it leads to destruction. Now, if your mind is changed about sin, you don't want to do those things anymore that are opposed to God. A child of God is one who has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. A child of God is one who acknowledged that, that God has indeed raised him from the dead and having repented of all sin, saying, I don't want that anymore, looking to Jesus in faith with the confidence now that his death on the cross was, was full payment for that sin means that we want to leave it behind. See, we've looked to Christ and said, Your death was for me. Therefore, I hate my sin. Therefore, I don't want it anymore. Therefore, I want obedience. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Abram hearing the voice of the Lord telling him to go, but then not going? Can you imagine? He tells his father, you know, I just heard the voice of the only true God. You know, all of those other gods we've been serving, those are fakes. But then just staying put, ignoring the command to go. Well, that doesn't fit in the story, right? Why would he do that? Likewise, why would we do that? Why would we turn to Christ in faith and continue to embrace sin? It does not make any sense for a child of God to look to Jesus in faith, trusting that his, his death was for our sin at the cross as full payment, but then deciding, well, I'm just going to kind of hang on to this. I kind of like it. How absurd to say I trust Jesus, but I'm still going to be promiscuous. I trust Jesus, but yeah, I'll just, I'll just move in with my girlfriend. I know we're not married. I'll trust Jesus, but really, I, I, I don't think that there's any need to forgive. I'll, yeah, I'll trust Jesus, but... You know what? Stealing, abusing others, feeding my own flesh. Listen, that that works for me. No. 
Becoming a child of God means leaving something behind. And the first thing we leave behind is our sin. Now, I'm not saying to you, brothers and sisters, that when we look to Christ, then immediately everything's perfected. But it changes our attitude toward it. As believers in Jesus, we see the sin that remains in us and we, we hate it. As King David, after he was confronted about his, his sin of adultery and then murder by Nathan the prophet, writing Psalm 51, says, Against you, you only have I sinned. And later in the psalm it says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. Brothers and sisters, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're a child of God today, I hope that you pray that every single day as you confess your sin. God, keep creating in me a clean heart. Keep renewing a right spirit in me. Make me, make me hate my sin. That's the change of mind. Well, beyond changing our mind about sin, leaving our sin, we must leave behind any higher allegiance. Any higher allegiance than the Lord. That's set aside. So whether that's career or country, friends, family, nothing and no one can be a higher priority in our lives than God himself. This is what Jesus affirmed in the law. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is a total kind of commitment to love God first and foremost. He has our highest allegiance. That means that any other relationship is secondary. And this is jarring, but listen to what Jesus said. If anyone, Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my, my disciple. Now, Jesus didn't literally mean you need to behave in a hateful way towards these. But it was a matter of comparison. Your love for God should make any other love, by comparison, look like hate. But if you truly love God, you will love those loved ones better than you could ever love them outside of the love of God. I assure you of that. Well, finally, in this idea of leaving, we leave, we leave behind sin. We leave behind higher allegiances. And we leave behind the satisfaction of self and the affirmation of the world. Well, what I mean by this? Well, well, the world around us, we know this, tells us, and it, and it sells us this idea in advertising, right? Do what feels good. Do what makes you happy. Do what serves your own interests. And we can see this on full display in so many ways. But that way of living is an illusion, according to Jesus. It makes promise of satisfaction, but in the end, it only disappoints Jesus said this, Luke 22, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That's verse 23. Coming after Jesus, that is to say following him, means self-denial. 
His glory becomes a priority. His purpose replaces my own. So we must give up the idea of self-satisfaction by our own means and find our satisfaction in Jesus. But verse 24 says this, because there's a temptation to gain what the world offers. Forever who would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In another place, Jesus said, what does it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? We must leave. Obedience means leaving. Secondly, obedience leads to blessing. A positive statement here. Now, on this, uh, on this Independence Day, one of the things that we do is that we acknowledge that this is a blessed nation. And in spite of our, our past, let's say collective, past collective and present collective sins, we do have freedom. We have opportunity. And we have general prosperity. We get that. So we think of a blessing really as some good benefit, right? And, and we probably have said this, all of us. We might say, I'm blessed. You might say that if you've experienced a measure of success and prosperity. I'm blessed. And now the Bible word in our text is barach, for blessed. It sounds similar to the name of a previous president, but it means, that word barach, means to kneel or to honor. A blessing is to be prospered. Now, if you want to be, if you want the honor of the world, then you follow, you obey its values. But if you want to be blessed by the Lord, then obeying His voice is the key. So, for the Lord to bless means that the Lord honors and prospers that person. And that blessing from the Lord has eternal implications. Eternal. Now, we see in our text, Abram obeyed the Lord. And what did the Lord do? The Lord made a promise to bless him. First of all, he blessed him uh, with a nation. Number, verse 1, I will make you a great nation. So Abram separated himself from his kinsmen, people that, were, that he knew, people that were his people. But the Lord promised to make a new people out of him, a people set apart to the Lord, a nation that the Lord called great. And the greatness of that nation would be owing to the Lord's favor. This is important, not to anything unique in Abram. The Lord made that promise. I will make you a great nation. He also promised him a land. This was part of the blessing. I will give you a land to your offspring. And he walked around it. I will give you this land. He obeyed and he left Haran. And, and verse 6 tells us he passed through that land to the place at Shechem, moved to Bethel, pitched his tent, journeyed on toward the Negev. Now he's kind of surveying this land. He's taking in the blessing that the Lord has given to him. Oh, this is the place. This is what God is giving to me. This is the land that the Canaanites possessed. They occupied that. And I also take it that what the Lord is saying to Abram, this is Eden. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is what was lost now, eventually, the Canaanites would have to be dispossessed. But Abram gave up an inheritance in his father's household to gain a greater inheritance. The writer of Hebrews describes Abram's faith exemplified in this obedience. Hebrews 11.8, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go 
when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. So Abram would receive a land. A nation, he would become a nation. That's a people group. But he would receive a, a location to live. And that would ultimately be fulfilled. And understand that this is this, uh, the Israelites, as they're about to cross the Jordan, they're experiencing this. This is being read to them. They're being told this story of their history. The third part of the, the blessing that the Lord promised was a bless, that Abram would be a blessing to the rest of the nations. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So again, think about this. Those Israelites, are, they're about to cross the Jordan River and possess this land of Canaan. And the practical outworking of this promise was that the enemies of the Israelites would be crushed. So the Canaanites would be subdued. It would be bringing the reality to bear in their experience as they crossed the Jordan, the reality that they were already told that the curse that Noah uttered against Ham's son Canaan, after whom all these people are named, they would be cursed because as they cursed the Israelites taking that land, they would find upon themselves a curse and they would see the blessing of the Israelites. And, and as the stories went out, as the Israelites did cross the Jordan, the, the scripture tells us that their hearts melted. Their hearts melted. They saw that the Lord God was with the Israelites. Now, there's some people, though, and maybe you have done this. I'll read this again. I will bless those who bless you, and, uh, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. I know there's some people, and I have to talk about this. There's some people who read this and think that it means that, that any nation that honors present-day Israel will experience God's blessing. I'm going to suggest to you, I believe that's a misapplication of this scripture. I don't think we can assume that present-day Israel can be equated with the nation promised to Abram. Now, you know, as a geopolitical strategy, it's probably good for the United States to be allied with Israel. It's a complicated mess in the Middle East if you just follow the news. But, but assuming that Israel only acts justly all the time would be stretching it. Just ask the Palestinian Christians how they feel when their homes are taken from them. It's complicated. What does it mean to bless? What does it mean, though, this, this statement? What does it mean to bless? That is to honor Abram. In Abram, the, the scripture says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what's this blessing? So if we bless Abram and his offspring, we're going to get that explanation in Galatians. And this, this is where we, we see the, the, the depth and the meaning and the beauty of this. Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Now the Apostle Paul will go on to explain what that means. It does not say to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. You see, the way that Abram would be a blessing to the nations would be through his singular 
offspring. That offspring was the one and the same offspring that was promised to Adam and Eve when the Lord cursed the serpent, Genesis 3.15. The offspring of the woman whose heel would be bruised by the serpent. The offspring of the woman now through Abram that would ultimately bruise, crush the head of the serpent. Galatians 3, 8 and 9. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that is to say non-Jews, by faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you all the nations, in you shall all the nations be blessed. See, the Apostle Paul is describing that statement there as a gospel, the good news. The Lord's promise to Abram was an announcement of the Christ. Yes, veiled as it is, but it was an announcement of the Christ. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, Abraham obeyed. He believed and he acted and was blessed. He was blessed so that we, when we believe in faith, we likewise will be blessed because we're believing in the one who was promised, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the seed of the woman, the offspring, singular, of Abraham, the Son of God, the very one conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. 2,000 years ago, this reality. And we gain that blessing in Christ by the obedience, the obedience of faith. We who have looked to Christ, trusting in what Jesus accomplished at the cross, when in his death he paid for the penalty, the full penalty for our own sin. And in his resurrection on the third day, he gives us power Power to live that life of obedience that we could not accomplish on our own apart from him. So that his commands seem to us to be beautiful and not cumbersome, as it says in 1 John. They're not, they're not overbearing. They're a delight to us. This is the essence of faith. Faith with obedience shows what faith is. Faith without obedience isn't faith at all. There were some people who, hearing Jesus preach in the wilderness in John chapter 6, they asked him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? A lot of people have asked the question, what, what, what does God need me to do? What act of obedience do I need? What thing must I do to gain his favor? And Jesus gave the answer. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Now you think he might give a list. This is the work of God that you believe in him who is sent. That's it. The work of God is believing. And that believing becomes the foundation for everything else that we might do. Obedience apart from faith in Christ is, is a failed effort. It's legalism. If you're not trusting in Christ alone and you, you think that you will uh, amass a list of good deeds to present to God, well, you're just, you're wasting your time. Faith issues forth. 
proceeds forth in obedience. Genuine faith says, I trust you, Jesus, to take my sin. Therefore, I trust everything else you say. So if you believe, brothers and sisters, you are blessed. And if you have not yet believed, friend, if you do believe, you will be blessed. The scriptures back this up. So what does that blessing look like? Well, I'm going to summarize some things from Ephesians chapter 3. There's a great passage on blessing. It begins, Ephesians chapter, sorry, 1, verse 3, beginning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, th there. I mean, that's, there's a lot in that. But here's some specifics. That we should be holy and blameless before him. That we're adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We've been blessed in the blood, that is Jesus. In him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. Is that not a blessing? To know that you stand before God forgiven for all your sins. And he lavished this on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. This gets revealed to us. This is part of the blessing. Verse 11, we, are, we have um, obtained an inheritance. Abram was given an inheritance in the land of Canaan. We have obtained a greater inheritance, not a piece of property. An inheritance with Christ himself, with Jesus. And beyond that, we've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within us. Are these not glorious blessings? And the Spirit himself guarantees our inheritance. See, as long as the Spirit indwells you and he will not leave you if you're a child of God, you are guaranteed an inheritance in the eternal kingdom of God. Obedience brings a blessing. Third, obedience, sorry, third point, Blessing evokes worship. Blessing evokes worship. Now, I think you know this, but uh, I think we get it. Worship is natural, right? It's natural. If you think something is great, you celebrate it, right? So blowing up thousands of dollars of pyrotechnics is part of our national liturgy, right? Now, sometimes that national worship service goes a little long into the night, interferes with a good night's rest, but we accept the uh, inconveniences. We accept that our pets will hide in the bathtub. We get that. But it's for the sake of celebrating this nation. We feel blessed, don't we? So we give public expression to it, lighting up the night sky, blowing up thousands of dollars of stuff. Or, like me, just watching other people blow up thousands of dollars of stuff. No judgment if you bought thousands of dollars of stuff, but I'll watch your stuff anyway. But we get this, right? When you acknowledge the truth about the goodness of someone, when you do that out loud, when you give honor where honor is due, when you encourage others to share in giving honor to the one to whom honor is due, that's worship, right? And Abram was blessed. So what did he do? He worshiped. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give you this land. He looked around, Bethel, Shechem, went down to the Negev. This? 
He built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He built another altar to the Lord in verse 8. Now, it's a simple truth, isn't it? The experience of having been blessed evokes worship towards the one who gives that blessing. Now, there's no indication in our text here that the Lord required Abram that he build an altar. I just take it that his heart was moved to acknowledge that truth publicly. And I say publicly because building an altar is not a private matter. Think about this. Putting the stones, people walking by, what are you doing? Well, I'm building an altar. Oh, to who? To the Lord who called me to come here. His worship was a public testimony to the goodness of the Lord. And it's a simple application point, brothers and sisters, because when we gather together to hear the word of the Lord and respond in worship, what we're doing here this morning, it's a public testimony to the goodness of our God, is it not? It's a public testimony to the grace of God ultimately revealed in Jesus, his son. When Jesus, in his earthly ministry, met a Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, that woman's life was marked by failure, moral failure, and profound rejection. She was a dejected woman. And that woman had asked Jesus a religious question about the right location for worship. And Jesus answered to that woman, corrected both her misunderstandings, but also the understandings of Jesus' own disciples who were with him. He said this, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So the answer Jesus gave, there's a way to worship. Not through mindless, rote activities that have no heart. Not through prescribed means. Not that prescribed means are are a problem. But heartless activities going through the motions. No, he said, in spirit and truth. In spirit, which is engaged with with the whole person saying, this matters. A heartfelt expression. But in truth, based on what God has revealed to us, Brothers and sisters, we worship God through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's the only way. That's the only acceptable worship. If we ignore Jesus, we're ignoring ignoring God's self-revelation. So every time we gather, our songs include gospel truth. Always. We're singing about Jesus. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to exalt His Son. So that's the truth part, and it has to be heartfelt. And God seeks these kind of worshipers. And what I take from Jesus' teaching there is that he's not limiting the scope of his worshipers to those physically descended from Abraham, but from all that acknowledge the truth of who Jesus is. Now think about this. People who don't want to worship God. And I hope this isn't you. But people who don't want to worship God do not feel blessed. 
right? You don't celebrate what doesn't matter to you. But when you've experienced the grace of God, when you know the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, when you look at your own life and you think, I've just made a hash of it. And then you hear the word of God telling you, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. He is faithful. He will do it. But he is just. And his justice is satisfied through having poured out his own wrath for your sin on his son. And because of that, he forgives. For all of us who are in Christ today, that simple reality, I'm forgiven. The wages of my sin is death. I deserve condemnation. But God has shown favor, not through anything I've done, but because he was gracious and merciful to open my eyes to see his son crucified for me and raised for my justification. How can we not? How can we not express that praise and worship for him? So, saying that God seeks worshipers, it's not like God's trying to extract something that isn't heartfelt out of you. No, he wants you to see the beauty of his grace. And he wants you to gather with others who declare it together and give public testimony. So let me ask you this. Are you a worshiper? Now you're here this morning, but I hope you haven't come here kind of grumbling, thinking that you're just doing your duty. I hope you've come here this morning with a hope that you would add your voice to others in this room who are saying, Jesus is my Savior. Well, let me wrap this up. By the example of Abram, we see obedience means leaving. And obedience, if you haven't got it by now, is effectively faith. Faith with no obedience is not really faith. So obedience that comes from faith means leaving. Have you repented of your sin and turned to Christ in faith? If you have not done so, let me encourage you, do that right now. Acknowledge Jesus as the divine Son of God. See Him from the pages of Scripture, crucified in your place because you are a sinner who deserved to be condemned. And believe that God raised him from the dead so that you, likewise, could have eternal life. Leave your past. Leave every other allegiance and put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, you know this to be true, that genuine obedience, faith, leads to blessing every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. There are blessings that that we'll experience in this life by gathering with God's people. There are blessings that we know answered prayer. There are blessings every single day we, we discover all kinds of things that God has done to intervene in our lives. The greatest blessing is yet before us when Christ returns. We hold on to that. And because we've been blessed, we want to worship. May we be those who effusively and overflowingly give our praise to God.
and worship. Well, let's pray. Father, we know that you blessed Abram and ultimately the blessing upon him was for revealing to us his singular offspring, your son, our Savior, Jesus. And because of him, we are eternally blessed. Help us to be those people who are not shy to give praise to you in the company of others, to acknowledge that we have the greatest gift of all, being called your children because of Christ himself. So Lord, as we enjoy um, the fruit of your temporal blessings on this nation and our own personal lives, draw our minds to the greater blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Help us to live for those. We pray it through Christ. Amen.